Welcome to the Shine Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Canadian, and I am so grateful that you are here. I am a wife, mother of three boys, certified massage therapist, and a devoted alcohol recovery coach who helps driven women break through their alcohol dependency without the traditional 12-step program. Each week, I will bring you inspiring guests with focus on mindset, health, and spirituality, providing you the tips and tools to help you create unshakable confidence, clarity, and energy so you can unleash your creative potential and live the life of your dreams alcohol-free. So tune in for some fun, and if you are ready to shine, welcome. Welcome back to the Shine Within podcast. I'm your host, Gina Canadian, and I have a very special guest today. Her name is Rebecca Chandler. She's an author and survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Her book, It Won't Hurt None, a story of courage, healing, and a return to wholeness, details her journey from the depths of trauma to a place of hope and healing, offering a roadmap for others who are struggling with similar issues. Through years of therapy and self-reflection, Rebecca was able to heal and reclaim her voice and her power. Rebecca is a strong advocate for survivors of childhood abuse and believes in the power of storytelling to empower others. She looks forward to sharing her truth at conferences and workshops to offer hope and support to others who are struggling with trauma. Rebecca believes that by accepting our past, we can release our trauma to heal and find peace. Rebecca's story is a testament to the human spirit and its ability to overcome even the most devastating of circumstances. Through her words and her courage, she hopes to inspire others to stand in their truth, process their trauma, find their voice, and reclaim their power. Wow. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yes, I'm excited to have you because, you know, you and I, we just spoke right now and we actually share similar stories. Um, I was sexually abused from the ages of six to 12 years old. And I wanted you to go ahead and share your story and what you've gone through and how you were to able, how you were able to heal that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I was uh, sexually assaulted by my maternal grandfather from the age of five to the age of 13. And that uh, abuse began at first at molesting, what people would call molesting, which is just, you know, hands and all over my body and being violated. And then when I was six, it was when I was first actually raped with his body. And, um, And that continued off and on over the years. And no one knew. No one knew that I was being sexually assaulted. Um, people saw him behave badly. They saw him reach out and grab and grope and do all kinds of really inappropriate things, but no one said a word. And, um, as I got older, you can imagine, you know, my period started when I was 11 and I was terrified because I put two and two together. If you, you know, sex equals babies, that's all. So I was absolutely terrified going into my teen years, of what's going to happen to me. Um, and then when I was 13, one night, I was at my grandparents' house. It was quite common for us to be dropped off there um, for to spend a weekend. And um, something just, something snapped inside of me and he, everybody else had gone to bed and he grabbed at me and pulled me back onto him and said, um, let's go out to the trailer. There was a trailer on their property. He said, uh, it won't hurt none, which is the title of my book. And 
I I dissociated and I, I, I could see myself standing in the corner of the kitchen where this was happening, watching my 13-year-old self deal with the fact that he had grabbed me, he had pulled me onto his lap, he was groping me, he was whispering this disgusting stuff in my ear. And I just had had enough, apparently. And I broke through and I leapt off of him and I slammed his body against a wall in a chair and I just said don't ever touch me again. And in a really violent, you know, horrible way. And I'm not going to use the language in your show. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> you know, I threatened his life. And then that night I spent um, hiding in the corner of my bedroom with the furniture shoved against the door and just waiting for him to try to come and get me. And I told myself if that, if I couldn't beat him off, I would jump out the window. Like I was not going to endure another moment. And then so it ended. It absolutely ended after that night. And what was interesting is that uh, my mind, through over the years of abuse, my mind created what I call fragments or alters or personalities. And I didn't know it at the time, but I had disassociative identity disorder, which is commonly referred to as multiple personality disorder. And I started to listen and hear those voices when I was in high school. And they became very pronounced, particularly 13. She was my anger. She was ever present, always in fight mode, always. And everything was a fight. And then I came out of high school and at 19, 19, 20, um, I had not spoken to anyone about it, never told a single soul about it. And then I had a revelation one morning that like, if I don't get help, I'm going to have the the most miserable life possible. So I went and I started therapy, talk therapy. And that's when I started to discover what the voices in my head were and why they existed. Um, but that, that was the beginning. And I was 20 when I finally started to heal just a little bit. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So, you know, vulnerability comes out, you know, with us. And it was very difficult for me to share my story. And I was actually 22 years old when I mm. spoke of any trauma. You know, here I was keeping it inside, inside that nobody knew why I was the way I was angry, violent, lying all the time, manipulating, controlling all these different yeah. things, you know. Yeah. And and then finally, I remember we had a family meeting because it was my drug habit. You know, I was doing cocaine. I was drinking all the time. And then I finally said it. The reason why I'm like this is because I was sexually molested. <laughs> and then everyone, my whole, si my siblings, my mom, you know, everybody was just like paused. And then my mom oh, asked, wow. yeah, she asked like, you know, I guess her, her ex-lover, you know, when I was little, they're of course they're no longer together. My mom's married to a wonderful man now. And I, he's like my, my Good. papa, because my, my dad died when I was a baby. So no, no, this one is, is a blessing. But the one when I was little, there was like a certain mole in that area, you know, mm -hmm. and then she asked me that question, where did he, did he have like something? Da, 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 and, I, and I said, yes, it was da, 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 and there. <laughs> and she was just like, oh. you know, I mean, and just the trauma that we go through. Uh, but you, you've, you've done some healing work though. You've written book, you've written another companion book as a journal with that book. Yeah. You are now also, completely healed. So I just want to talk a little bit about your healing process. Yeah. I'm, 
I want to ask you one question though. Ah, um, how, when I told my mom that I had been sexually assaulted by her father, um, she said to me, he got others too. So my mother knew that her father was a pedophile and she, for lots of reasons, did not, did not protect me. Right. And the rest of my family, it was pretty much a total mess when it came to how the family received the information. And, um, I was, I was incredibly disappointed and hurt by their response at the time. And it's still something that I even write about in my book that I struggle with. The fact that my family has never really been there for me ever. Um, my parents have not read my book. They are not going to read my book. So I just think it's interesting to me that when your mom said kind of, I, it, it sounds like, and I might be saying the wrong thing. It sounds like she said, we'll prove it. Yes. And yes. how does that make you feel? Because it makes me angry right now. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> so do you mind me asking you that question? Yeah, absolutely. You know what? At that moment, I was just glad that it came out, that anybody's okay. responses, it didn't matter to me. I was just so happy it finally came out. Yeah. So if they hated it or said, prove it, which you're right, you're absolutely right. It was like a prove it to me then. It's like, no one would believe us. It's like, come on, like, we're not making this crap up. Like after so many years, you're going to make this kind of crap up. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry if that that was her response because that sounds hurtful and I don't know. Yeah. Um, but my healing journey, I went into talk therapy at the time. Give I'm 53. So I think to give everyone context, trauma was not on the tip of everyone's tongue. This is in 1990, 91. It was not the conversation it is today. Uh, multiple personality disorder was not uh, uh, something that people, therapists would look for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people with trauma were diagnosed bipolar, which I ended up being diagnosed bipolar later on. So just to give some context, when I went into my therapist's office and said, I was, you know, I was sexually abused as a child, the the conversation and the healing that I went through was talk therapy. It was very effective talk therapy. And I learned a lot about myself and we explored abuse and my parents really corrosive divorce and all kinds of things. Um, and I left talk therapy after three years. It was some pretty major, uh, a major uh, journey on that. And I took a break and I thought, okay, well, that's it. Because I, again, at the time, there was no conversation about how trauma healing happens in layers. There was none of that conversation was going on. And then I uh, moved out of California and I moved to other places and doing other things. When I came back to the United States after living overseas when I was about 30, 30, 33. And um, I needed to go back into therapy. And I thought, I thought I was done. Mm -hmm. I, like, I didn't understand that it, it was ever evolving, right? Mm -hmm, healing, right? Healing just evolves. It doesn't actually stop. It just evolves. So I went back to the same therapist who I, who I trusted and I knew we kind of picked up where I left off. But if I think about that, those sessions now, we talked a lot about the same thing over and over, just oh. in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think talk therapy, it's easy to get stuck in a mm -hmm. narrative and that's why I'm a, I love talk therapy, but I think it's, it's only part of the process and that there are other really significant healing approaches 
that have a permanent lasting effect that I personally don't believe talk therapy offers. Mm -hmm. So I went back to talk therapy, went a couple of years more with this guy, got, you know, thought, Hey, I've I've done it again, (laughs) (laughs) but all of my traumatic behaviors, I'll call them. So my inability to manage my finances, disastrous relationships, not being able to control my anger, the voices in my head, right? Nothing had been done to address the voices in my head, my serious and dangerous depressive episodes, my compulsive eating disorder, you know, um, overeating and comfort eating and all that. All of that remained. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to be in a healthy relationship. And so I think that that's a really, and when I was looking back on it, when I was writing this book, I thought, you know what? I don't think talk therapy does as much as talk, they say talk <laughs> because, <laughs> right. because I was talking about situational things and my problems, but I wasn't resolving any of those behaviors. And the simple am- answer is, of course, is because the trauma, the energy from that trauma was still in my flesh. Yes. And it gave, it gives energy to all of those behaviors and all of those problems. And until you resolve the energy, you it's not going to stop. Yes, absolutely. And how does one resolve that energy? So my, what I decided to do, uh, I got in my forties, I moved to Kenya. That's what you do when you're in flight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's what I do when I'm in flight. Yeah. And, um, I got to the point where I needed to talk to someone again. I went through a partial hysterectomy that was devastating to my mental and physical health. And I sought help and I ended up um, talking to a woman who was an empath, who is an empath. Mm-hmm. And I just really, really love her. And she's wonderful. And I thought, okay, well, I like talking to you. So can I just keep talking to you? Yeah. And she said, yeah, sure. And so what I engaged in with her was a series of what I now call somatic sessions where I would enter into a pretty deep meditative state with her and we would connect energetically and do some breath work. And then I would visualize different environments and tell her what I was seeing. And through those visualizations, she was able to guide me to resolve my trauma. And I can give you an example of one visualization to give context. That'd be great. Yeah. My favorite meditation place in my head is a meadow. And it looks a lot like the meadow on the cover of my book. It's tall trees. It's a forested meadow. It reminds me of where I grew up in the mountains. And I went to the meadow one day uh, with the intention of meeting one of my personalities. And I call her seven. She's the the first one I met. And as I met her uh, with the intention of getting to know her, getting her to trust me, reconciling with me, and then releasing her. And mind you, I had four personalities to do this with. And inside the meadow, in my head, I would tell Amelie, my healer, which is my word for her. I said, um, well, there's a young girl here, and she, but she's hiding behind a tree, but I can still see her. And Amelie would say, well, say hello to her and ask her if she'll speak to you. So I would follow Amelie's prompts, and I got to know the seven-year old version of me. Wow. And we had these one-to-one conversations and um I had to make sure that she understood that I was 
older, I was an adult, because these pieces of ourselves that are traumatized are trapped in time. Mm-hmm. They don't know they're not seven anymore or not five anymore. And so they remain in a hypervigilant state because for them, the trauma hasn't ended. So I had to convince her, get to know her, get to convince her it was safe, that she was safe, that I loved her, and that I kept apologizing to her for not taking care of her. And really, I'm apologizing to myself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So... And so I did that with five, six, seven, and 13. And that was just one session with her. And I had multiple sessions with her. Wow, that's great. That's somatic work. It's It can be intense because you are facing yourself or other people. I confronted my grandfather in the meadow. Um, my personalities and me, we all beat the crap out of him. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what did you do in the meadow? <laughs> We, we all him. confronted him and we all pulverized him and destroyed him. And so, and it, I think what's really powerful about somatic work is that your mind will take you where you need to go if you just let go. I love and that. so if you don't have to be a particularly creative person, you don't have to be any kind of thinker or doer. You don't have to be an artist to appreciate the somatic process. You just have to kind of surrender to the energy work that's being done with you. And I can tell you this, that as a, as a, over a series of about five years between Kenya, and then I moved to Singapore and continued. And then I moved back to America and, and, and continued last year through that work. I was able to get to know each personality um, convince them that they could trust me, convince them that they were loved and that, that, that it was okay. It was safe to come back to me because these pieces of me, these fragments, they always felt like they were living outside of me mm. and they were shouting at me and talking at me all the time. And, and it was, it was just really complicated to have that many versions of myself. And when I've convinced them all to come back and by, by come back, I mean to integrate back into me. And I'm a whole person with one point of view, one self. Uh, and that was, that was the big result. And then in one final session with my healer in Beverly Hills, who I really, really am so grateful I met to finish with, um, my, my father's mother showed up in my final meditation session and um, she came to get them. She said, it's time for them to go. I was like, well, wait a minute. What do you, I'm not sure I'm ready for them to leave. And she's like, no, no, it's time. She's like, don't get romantic about these things. They, they almost, they almost convince you to kill yourself. So don't, don't, don't get romantic. And then seven, who was the, really the ringleader of all of them. She said, you're going to be fine. It's time for us to go. And my grandmother literally took them out of the meadow. And from that session forward, I've never heard from them again. Wow. That is incredible. Never again. Yeah. Never again. And I, it's, I know that people will say, well, you can't really heal from DID. And I've read that in textbooks and those kinds of things. And I think that that's just a really narrow way to define your mind. Absolutely. You know, when your mind breaks, it can heal itself if you give it the tools. So yeah, I don't hear from them at all. I don't, they're gone. They're gone. 
It's just like, and then you're focusing on the present moment now. <laughs> I live in the present and I have to tell you, it's exciting and really weird. And it's, I started being traumatized and living as a traumatized person since I was five. So the person I became over, you know, all those years was a version of my true self. So the executive producer who loved to be in control on film sets and be the boss and all that stuff, that was a great, like a positive way for me to channel my traumatized self, right? Right, right. And I was lucky for that career and I was lucky to see the world and live around the world and do all the things. But now I'm 53 and I can tell you now I have no desire whatsoever to run a film set. Yeah. Makes so it's sense. like, it's coming out, it's like being born again. And the things that I used to want to put up with or enjoy or pursue a lot, some of that's shifting now. So it's, it's just a, it's a very strange, <laughs> a very strange <laughs> time in life to be 53 and to feel like I'm just getting started in a lot of ways. And I, and I can't help but look back on my life and go, I wonder what it would have been. Who would I have been had I not had to live life through this really traumatized, sharp lens? Right. But that's those are the questions I'm asking now. Not not to linger on it, but I'm going to ask the question. You know. Yes, yes, and I'm so happy you're sharing this. What types of goals are you like? What do you look forward to now that all of that has been released? All that trauma. What brings you joy now? I mean, I'm figuring that out, right? So I was like, uh, I like writing a lot. Um, I'm I've started I started a third book and a, and, and a fourth book. Um, that's a long story, but <laughs> so I, I'm focusing on writing. I'm focusing on how do I turn my real joy of writing into a career because I never I never considered it before, and now it's all I want to do. And how could I maybe turn speaking into a career? Like, how can I turn this experience into this new phase of my life where I try my best to tell people what it's like to go through trauma and what it's like to come out the other side of it? So Absolutely, yes. Everyone needs to hear a story because they often feel alone. I felt alone. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I hid everything inside. Like, it was all tucked away in my head and then only moments would it release. And that was just out of anger. Mostly it was, it was dangerous and it was not good, but I, I, I want to talk a little bit about your book. And I, I but before that, <laughs> I watched one of your TikTok videos. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was doing some, oh, God. some uh, TikTok <laughs> stalking. <laughs> and, I love um, it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and then um, I, I, you, you are, uh, you have a pen pal and you have a journal and you go back and forth and write, yeah yeah can you share a little bit about that that's so cool that's so funny that's the one you saw um because I'm still experimenting with TikTok I love TikTok um my best 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 friend I've known since I was uh, seven years old um about a year ago I thought you know what I I miss writing letters my grandmother taught me always wrote letters she taught me how to write letters I'm like, there's got to be more than just sending a text. I just am a little tired of this digital environment. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to buy this journal where the pages can be refilled. And I'm going to write some stuff, whatever I want, however much I want. And I'm going to send it to this person. 
and she gets two to three weeks to do whatever she wants to do inside of it, write whatever, draw whatever, and she'll send it back. And so we exchanged this book now. We've done it for almost a year. And it's literally whatever we want to talk about, whatever we want to admit, not admit, whatever it is. But it's just a wonderful gift to have that with someone. And it's a permanent record. I know we're going to continue to do it for decades. And I can't wait. Even now, it's fun just to go back and say, well, a year ago, we were, are we still stuck in the same place? Are we still writing about the same thing? Or have we... Have we moved on? Or, and it's just nice to have an analog piece of my friend mm-hmm. that I, and it's really close to me and we're, and, you know, we're best friends and it's just nice to share something as, I guess, intimate as writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, and it's crazy handwriting and drawings or stickers and, it's different colors of ink and stuff like that. And I just love the fact that it's, uh, it's old school. Yeah. It's old school. Cause we're so distracted by the, like you said, cell phones and then computers Ugh. and all this, whatever happened to having a piece of paper and a pen and just writing things down. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, uh, well, I haven't written anything down, <laughs> but I'm a big fan of paper and notebook. always have notebook with yeah. me. I always have a pen with me. I'm always the one jotting. I'm in this um, group, a women's group, and I, I see everybody on the Zoom calls typing, typing, but I'm just like <laughs> writing, writing. I always say that something magical about putting pen and paper together. <laughs> there is, and you actually remember it more if you write it. So, yeah. uh, which if anyone's going into perimenopause and menopause, when the brain fog hits and it'll hit, write it start writing things yeah that's good and do you find that writing is therapeutic as well I find writing is absolutely cathartic for me and I know for other people it would be jogging or painting or whatever it's you know needlework whatever it is I think that creativity everyone's creative um and I I find it interesting that a lot of my friends have said I can't imagine writing a book you know I'm not a writer and I have to believe that that comes out of some really antiquated forms of education mm-hmm. where your writing was graded. I don't know how you would write. I don't know how you would grade something someone wrote. Right. I don't even know how that's possible. Like, how do you grade a painting? I don't know. But, and I just think that people, everyone's creative. Everyone has a creative outlet. Forget what you were told in, in school. Yes. <laughs> <about your> creativity. <laughs> And just embrace it. And there are no rules. There really are no rules. And the internet, if nothing else, has come on, kind of democratized everyone's access to being creative and sharing creativity. And, you know, I think that letting that part of your mind release itself is as important as getting your endorphins up when you go to the gym. I, I think it's the same sort of release absolutely and i agree with you with the schools like who who are they how could they judge okay get this like i always say in these cooking shows they're tasting and they're judging the 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 chef's work but everybody has a different taste palette (laughs) how are they gonna judge i don't know it's just weird i don't know i mean like you know good food is either good or it's bad food but that's because because like you said like how it tastes to me i don't know i i just i hate those shows yeah (laughs) I don't, I don't like shows where other people judge other people based right. on some nebulous definition of what good and bad is. It's just like, just stop. Yeah. 
just, I know. Let them be. Just Let be. Them be. <laughs> you know, and the idea that you need to be judged to be worthy and to feel like you've uh, arrived and you have to get a certain grade and you have to do a certain thing. It's just all those constructs just don't serve you. They don't. They're brainwashing us in school. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So with authenticity, uh, also another TikTok video of yours, you were talking about being your authentic self and being your own advocate. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. And I think that for a lot of people, I don't know what happened after you told your family and all of that, you know, all of that played out, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to be your own advocate, take agency of your own healing of your own journey, your own life, and hopefully find one, just one advocate could be a best friend, could be some family, whoever, who will stand in your corner without question and say, I believe this person. I'm going to stand with this person. I'm going to go to appointments with this person. I'm a thousand percent in this person's corner. And in my experience, that's not family. Um, They just, for whatever reason. So take agency of your healing. And I know it's hard. This, especially in uh, America where insurance and all that stuff is just so complicated but, you know, there are resources for low cost, no cost help. There's lots of videos on YouTube about getting healed. There's lots of podcasts like this one. Yeah. So you just, but you really have to find a way to dig deep and to go, you know what? This is not going to define my entire life. No, I'm not going to give it that much power. And I'm going to, I'm going to take my voice back and take my power back. Yes. And are you currently doing any conferences or any workshops that are coming up? I'm not. I'm not. I think I got late into, uh, you have to apply to all of these conferences and stuff like that. I'd be very happy, you know, to, to show up and talk about every, you know, whatever different angle uh, there was to talk about, but it's something I'll pursue for next year. Um, I'll start submitting this year for it. I had no idea that it was like a 12 to 18 month cycle. Oh, wow. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So it's a thing. It's a whole thing. So yeah, I hope to, I hope to keep doing that. And I hope, you know, like I said, healing evolves. It never stops. Um, I spend less time in my head than I ever before, which is a gift. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the fact that I wake up today as one person, not five of me. (laughs) Yes, you know, it's funny because sometimes I still say like, oh, we, 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 when I'm speaking, <laughs> like there's somebody else, like, but you know, that right? other person is my best friend and she's the one who roots for me though. It's not the enemy. <laughs> it wasn't the evil roommate that was in my head. It was, it's actually my best friend now. And she's the one who's always rooting for me, cheering me on and just saying, you just do it. <laughs> yeah. And I just went to TikTok about the fact that I got, I didn't understand shame until last year. And, um, I didn't think I had any shame because I never blamed myself for the, uh, for the abuse, but my healer last year, um, I went to her and said, I have this voice in my head saying, you, you're a failure, you're fat, you're ugly, all the, all the worst things possible. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think it's my shame. She's like, I, I, she said, I know it is. She's like, anytime you hear you in your head, that's not your present self. Mm-hmm. That is a shame centric 
debilitating voice that's trying to destroy you because ultimately shame is injured and wants to be loved and it comes across as this thing so like when you hear i in your head i'm doing this i'm successful i'll do better next time anytime you hear i that's you that's your present self and celebrate that voice but if you ever hear you in your head that is not your present self and she gave me a really simple exercise. She's like, just picture it as a ball of light coming at you and catch it, say no to it, and then throw it away. Mm, I love that. And I did it for a couple of months and then I stopped hearing it. That's so great. It's... So a ball of light. Okay, I'm going to use that one next time. What I just tell it is if, if anything negative comes in my head, I just said, shut up. <laughs> and it but goes see, away. <laughs> but shut up. The thing, I did too. I did that too. But shut up is pushing back on the energy. Yeah, it's just right. Yeah. And then it goes back and it doubles down and it comes back at you again. Oh, right? no. <laughs> whereas, whereas if you accept it and receive it and then release it, it's gone. It's passed through. And it's gone for good. <laughs> and that was, yeah. And that resistance thing that when you say shut up or I'm not going to hear you, I'm not going to listen to you. You're just pushing back against something that's energetic. And now it's going to have to come push back at you again. It's the energy. More you resist, the more it persists. <laughs> that's, it is. It's, yeah. And that's yeah. like, oh, okay. That, okay. But if I could picture it as a ball of energy, got it. That was that I got clear about that, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's uh, it's a journey. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So for anyone who is listening and say they do what and they are currently being abused and they mm. want to share to their family what's going on, what would you suggest is the best angle or best way to go? Uh, this is actually one of the guides that's in the back of my companion journal because I thought we thought it my writing partner and I thought it was important to talk about this. I think that before you tell your family, get your advocate, get someone who is going to stand in your corner and ideally talk to a therapist about it before you talk to your family. Because, and, I, and, and the reason I say that is because family can be, can go 50, 50. They can be supportive or they can destroy you. They can call you a liar. They can throw you out of the house. They can do all kinds of things, right? It's family. You never know what family. And if you think your parents are a certain kind of people, they can really disappoint you or they can meet your expectations. It really can go either way. So I think you need to have someone in your corner that you trust, your advocate, and have them in the room with you when you when you share this information. Um, and ideally have a therapist or a member of church or someone you trust who can also help guide you through it, no matter what happens. If it's a positive outcome, great. If it's a negative outcome, then you have support because you're going to need it. Because that disappointment hits, it hit me like a brick wall. I wasn't expecting it. I was quite naive about it. Um, and if it's a mixed result. So in my case, my siblings were supportive. My parents were not supportive. And my grandmother and my aunt were hateful. So if you get a mixed result out of that, you really need some something there, like a therapist and an advocate to hang on to 
because all what what happened to me was that when their response was not what I needed or what I expected, your whole idea of that perfect family that you have crumbles, mine crumbles. So now you're not just dealing with the trauma of telling your story and not being believed, but you're also tell, dealing with the trauma of that fantasy fairy tale version of family in your head falling apart. And that's a whole other part of trauma you now have to deal with on top of your, your, the first trauma, right? So be careful with it and and be kind to yourself with it and just know that you can do it. And I think it's good to do it, Um, but have support systems in place because it's, it's tricky. It is. Yeah. Especially if you're getting all these mixed responses from all these different family members, it's like, who do you, like, you don't know what to do. And then you're already suffering, like you said, with the sexual trauma. And then on top of the family trauma, so you have two traumas now to deal with. So you're absolutely right about talking to a therapist, having an advocate, someone who, who, an advocate, uh, a trusted friend. Yeah. And then go from there and just really trust yourself too, in the process of then telling your family. Yeah. Yeah. And you might, I cut off all contact with my mom and dad for quite some time after I told everybody. Um, because I needed distance, particularly from my mother, because I felt like she betrayed me and from my dad for failing to protect me, which is like a childlike response to it, you know, but you need distance and give yourself the space not to talk to anyone. You don't have to talk to your family. You don't have to, like, it's all of those constructs that, that are created for us as kids, how you have to be a certain way in your family. And this is your role and you can't be disrespectful, all that stuff, just no, that stops. And for your first time in your life, you're going to prioritize yourself, put yourself first. And if it means you don't talk to anybody for a year, then you don't talk to people for a year. Yeah. And you really can't invest any more of yourself and how they're feeling. You need to invest completely in how you're feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yes, yeah, so you got to take care of you, just like the whole airplane thing with the oxygen mask. You got to put it on you before you yeah. put it on baby. <laughs> you got to take yeah. care of you. That's so yeah. awesome. And where can people find your books? If you go to my website, RebeccaEChandler.com, there's all kinds of links. Check it out. And um, yeah, and I, I, it's, it's been given several five-star reviews. I'm quite proud of that book. Um, I know it's a, not an easy read. But it's hopeful and I feel really hopeful and I want people to know that um, I made it through and you can make it through too. So hopefully that's what you're left with uh, at the end of the book. Hope. Congratulations on your book. That's awesome. <laughs> that's Thank one you. of my that's Thank one of my goals is to eventually write a book. I've been writing like I, I like I said, I love writing everything down. I do write uh, just haven't put it into a book yet. So you're definitely an inspiration and maybe I'll go ahead and start doing that. <laughs> Yeah, just like just write for one hour a night, you know, and eventually you end up with a book. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, don't don't focus on perfection. I I knew that there were going to be editors down the road. I knew that there were going to be people to fix it and make it great. And they I found them and they did that. I just wrote, and I let I, I didn't worry about grammar. I didn't worry about any of it. I just wrote, and then I let the people around me that I found help me get to the point where it became a book so don't get caught up in the details just write just write right just do it yes yeah, so i write. know yeah. so, so many scribbles and marks and this is that 
Yeah, don't do that. Don't ever. <laughs> just right. So, yeah. uh, where can where else can people follow you? I am on. Oh, you can go to my website, RebeccaEChandler.com. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube-ish, but I'm a bit lazy about posting to YouTube. But really, <laughs> uh, TikTok and Instagram, I think go there. You'll see the the latest content. And I'm still, I'm just posting me. It's just me. And, uh, you know, um, we'll see how it goes. It's pretty That's new so- for me best way to post you have to just post you <laughs> you don't understand you'll be attracting everybody because everyone will relate to you here I used to always try to be pretend that I'm somebody else and then once I started learning to just be my authentic self then I was meeting all these people I'm like oh <laughs> okay yeah. Yeah. so yeah just that's awesome that you're just doing that just be raw <laughs> just, be, just be you yeah just be <laughs> it's like it's I don't I think it's, I'm lucky that I am a little bit older, so I don't really focus on how many likes and follows and all of that nonsense. I don't care. I don't, that's not why I wake up in the morning. (laughs) So I just, I just make videos that I like stuff I want to talk about and whoever hears it, hears it. And if they don't, uh, God bless. That's cool. (laughs) I'm I'm good. I don't. That's what I always say. If you like me, cool. If you don't like me, cool. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You do you, right? I, whatever works for you is cool. I'm good. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? No, just just hopefully your audience, you know, start start the first step. And like the journal, the companion journal we put together, it's just the basic steps to get started. And however you do that, just know that it's worth it. It's hard. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it, the healing process can never be as bad as the actual trauma. Okay. And, and you've already survived that. Right. So you will survive healing. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> and you'll come out the other end of it and it'll be pretty incredible. Oh, you know? I love that. Yes. Oh, you're so awesome, Rebecca. Thank <laughs> it you. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. loving what you're hearing go ahead and check out the links in the show notes and if you're aligned to leave a five-star review thank you